Hello, and welcome to Gilead. I'm Rebecca Anderson, one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad you found us. This Advent, our theme has been foretold, stories of shit we saw coming. From December 18, 2022, here's my co-pastor, Vince Amlin. It is 24 years ago this past Monday, December 12th, 1998, a year that's getting shouted out a lot in this service so far. I am a senior in high school. The number one song on the Billboard Hot 100 is I Am Your Angel, a collaboration that has definitely stood the test of time between Celine Dion and R. Kelly. I'm driving down I-70 East in Indianapolis. Rochelle is in the passenger seat, and we are screaming at each other. I don't remember what the argument was supposed to be about, but we are letting one another having it, gesticulating wildly, each trying to outdo the other in volume. Also, it is our first date. (laughs) The evening had started well with dinner at the best Mexican restaurant in all of Warren Township. (laughs) Then back to my place where we listened to the Violent Femmes and I made fun of my sister Kate, who was, oh, she's over here, uh, (laughs) who was moaning in the next room with like bruised ribs from the pleurisy she had contracted. Nerd. (laughs) And when we were done killing time, we headed to the Late Show at an improv theater located in a strip mall across town. After the show, we got back in my car and we decided to have a fake fight. I don't mean either of us said, let's have a fake fight to end our first date. That would be weird. (laughs) No, this was just one of those situations when having feasted at the banquet table of the muse of improv, we found ourselves inspired to engage in some light play acting with one another, one of us feigning a gentle irritation with the other about some trifle, and the other yes-anding that gambit until, I kind of wrote this in like some kind of British dialect, but I'm not using it, (laughs) until through a series of escalations, we found ourselves screaming and pounding the dashboard, each outraged at the other, and meanwhile, in reality, falling deeply in love with one another. Just one of those situations. And I've thought about that, very normal, beginning to our relationship many times over the last 24 years. Especially as that first play fight has given away, has given way to many, many real ones. I think it was a good way to begin, like good preparation for the next six and a half years of dating long distance and 17 and a half plus years of marriage to see how the person you're falling in love with argues, like to hear their tone of voice when they are irritated with you, to try on the feelings of both caring for this person more than you care for yourself and also despising them with every fiber of your being. What else is marriage if not that? Choosing the person that you want to be angriest with for the rest of your life. And the person that you hope will be angriest with you. Who could I stand to have truly hate my guts on at least like a semi-annual basis? (laughs) To whom will I give the power to really hurt me? And whose heart will be mine to break? And not just marriage, any committed relationship, like romantic or otherwise. Who have I ever hurt more than my family and friends? 
Who has ever disappointed me greater than the ones I trusted? What deeper wounds are there than the ones shared by parent and child? Anytime we choose to, to love someone or something, we give it the power to hurt us profoundly, too. Which is what makes Simeon like the most obvious of the prophets in the Bible. Not in the sense of like, oh, Simeon, you're so obviously prophetic, but more like, no shit, Simeon. It doesn't take a prophet to see that coming. So let me explain. Simeon, the story says, was a man righteous and devout, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. He was looking forward to the consolation of Israel. He was looking toward that day when his people would be saved from oppression, when they would be liberated from Roman occupation. He was waiting and anticipating the time when the Messiah would come and the world would change. And the Holy Spirit had told him that he wouldn't die until he saw it coming. And sure enough, when Jesus is eight days old, his parents bring him to the temple to be dedicated, and Simeon is told by the Holy Spirit to go and see him. This is the moment that he's been waiting for, the moment that he's been living for, holding on all these years just to have a glimpse and he tells Mary and Joseph the amazing things that their son will do, how he'll be a revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel, how he'll be a sign of things turning upside down, people rising and falling from their places all because of him. He will change the world. And then Simeon turns to Mary, the mother of this newborn baby, and he says, a sword will pierce your soul too which, one, is a hell of a thing to say to someone you, that you've just met. But also, the part that makes me call Simeon the most obvious of prophets, like telling a new parent that loving this little bundle of joy is also going to destroy them, like, no fucking kidding. Telling someone who has just given birth that for every hope she holds, there will also be pain, like she's figured it out. Jesus is eight days old. You can already see the sword handle like sticking out of her chest. That's what it means to be a loving parent. You didn't have to stick around all those years to deliver that message. That's what it means to be a loving anything. Friend, child, neighbor, loving this other person will be a sign, yes, of life and liberation and joy, and it will also just about kill you every fucking day or at least semi-annually. That's the way I've always read Simeon's two in A Sword Will Pierce Your Soul too. There will be joy and pain as well. You take the good, you take the bad, which is just hashtag facts of life. Obvious. No need for a prophet. But this week I realized there are other ways that you could take that little two. You could read it. Like maybe Simeon doesn't think he's telling Mary something she doesn't know. Maybe he's welcoming her to the club, not saying there will be joy and pain too, but saying you're going to have a sword piercing your soul just like the rest of us. Welcome to this universal human experience. You get a sword and you get a sword and you get a sword. You're one of us now, walking array around with a blade sticking out of your chest like every human before you. I keep saying chest, but it's actually not clear from the text from the Greek where the sword is. I'm sure you were going to point that out. Where do you get a soul piercing? 
That word in the Greek is psuche, breath or life or the seat of your affections and your will. It's the thing that God blows into the first human mouth to bring them into being. The thing that makes us human beings. Maybe Simeon is telling her, you're going to hit, get hit in your humanity. You're going to be pierced right through to the place where you live, but it's okay. We all do. Or maybe his two is more personal, like maybe the club that he's inviting her into is a smaller one. Maybe a sword will pierce your soul too means just like it has mine. All those years waiting for the world to change, working for its transformation, all that suffering, all that injustice, seeing it and knowing that it can be different, experiencing it and believing that the world is meant to be something else, holding to the hope that God means it to be something else, getting up day after day, year after year, and trying to live as if this were a world of beauty and equity. That is soul-piercing work. And Simeon looks into Mary's eyes, and he knows she's in the struggle too. Maybe he's heard about the song that she used to sing to her belly while her baby was still in utero, the one about bringing down the powerful and lifting up the lowly, about filling the hungry with good things and sending the rich empty away. He knows what it will cost her to live those values in this world to spend her energy opposing the empire, what it always costs to be part of building a better future, how fucking exhausting it is, how painful. Maybe he's telling her, welcome to the hope business. Get ready to have a sword driven through you too. Then again, Simeon is a prophet. He's there to speak on God's behalf. So maybe these are God's words. Maybe that too is God's too. Maybe God is telling Mary, we are in this together. And in that moment, God means that more than God has ever meant it before. Because in Jesus, God finally has a soul to be pierced. A life, a breath, has the thing that makes them human. Because for the first time in Jesus, God is fully human. I kept wanting to write that Jesus is God's me too, but that doesn't make any sense anymore. Jesus is God's and I as well, which is not as catchy. <laughs> Jesus is God saying, now I can eat with you and listen to music with you and, and laugh with you and make fun of your sister with you and fall in love the same way I've watched you do so many times. And it doesn't take a prophet to know that means I will also fight the way you do and hurt the way you do and fuck up the way you do and have my heart broken the way I've seen yours broken over and over. I will hope the way you do and have my hopes dashed day after day, year after year, like you do. I will struggle alongside you for a world that is more just and less painful. I will scream. I will pound my fists. My soul will be pierced with a sword. And your, and a sword will pierce your soul too. 
Whatever Simeon means when he says it, that too means that Mary is not alone. That too means that we are not alone. On our first dates and in our first fights, in the pain of loving a spouse or a friend or a parent or a child, and in all its joy, in the soul-piercing experience of being human and the inspiration that God blows into us to make us feel alive and also the feeling of having that wind knocked out of us by life in hoping that the world could change, could be better in working for it with everything we have and in disappointment when things don't turn out the way we hoped. When despite our best intentions, when we are doing our best and everything gets fucked up over and over, worse and worse, and when we pick up the pieces and we try to hope again. In every letdown we saw coming and every miraculous turnaround we could not have predicted in every hopeful, hopeless, human moment from that one in the temple in Jerusalem to this one in a pizza place in Chicago, God is telling us, whatever comes, I will be there too.